0: you're listening to conservation connection
1: presented by last chance endeavors
0: i'm chance
1: i'm sarah catherine
0: and we are a husband and wife team that runs an environmental education nonprofit focused on connecting students to the environment
1: here on conservation connection we do just that by introducing you to the groundbreaking science and conservation work that's happening every day across the globe
0: We talk to professionals in the world of conservation science and the environmental movement, and we ask them about their career, their current projects, their wild and crazy stories from the field,
1: and everything in between.
0: This episode is brought to you by the Wild and Scenic Film Festival in Nevada City, California.
1: Wild and Scenic presents environmental and adventure films to illustrate the Earth's beauty,
0: the challenges that our planet faces,
1: and the work communities worldwide do to protect our home.
0: Join us as we discover just how these dedicated people are working to protect our planet.
1: Let's get to the show.
0: Alrighty, guys. Welcome to another episode of Conservation Connection. We are so very excited this week to be at the Wild and Scenic Film Festival here in Nevada City, California. It was a long trip for us to get out here, but uh, this place is incredible. We're even more excited because right now, we're sitting down with Malia Burtis. She is uh, wears many hats. She's a conservationist, a storyteller, uh, has been deeply involved in conservation in southern Florida for a long time. She was a field producer and a camera trapper for the film Path of the Panther, and now she works as the communication and outreach specialist with Wild Path, which helped create the film, trying to amplify and get that story out there for the public.
1: So we definitely have a lot to talk about. Welcome to the show.
2: Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. Um, It's an amazing opportunity to be around so many talented filmmakers here who are trying to tell diverse stories from all parts of the world.
0: Absolutely. It's to give context for those of you who are not here and are listening to this week's later. This is like the very first thing we're doing here. It's 1030 on the Friday before the festival. So we're really just starting to get rolling. So this is an exciting time. It feels like the calm before the storm.
1: Yeah, definitely. So Malia, why don't we just start with you telling us a little bit about what is Path of the Panther and why are you here at the film festival?
2: Sure. So Path of the Panther, it's a full-length feature film that documents the endangered Florida panther and all of its challenges that the species has faced. Um, And it really highlights the Florida Wildlife Corridor, which is the land that the panther needs to survive. But uh, the Florida Wildlife Corridor is not just something that benefits wildlife. It's something that humans in Florida depend on. Um, So we're trying to tell that story and bring it to other parts of the world, because my team and I believe that the Florida Wildlife Corridor can be a model for what's possible for the rest of the country.
0: Absolutely. And I definitely want to dive pretty deep into what the Florida Wildlife Corridor is and the model and and why it's so valuable for not just people, but wildlife as well. Right. Obviously, it's the Wildlife Corridor. Um, But I would love to talk a little bit about your background in this fight and how you got involved specifically with South Florida Wildlife Conservation.
2: Sure. So right now I work with the team at WildPath. And we are um, a media group that specializes in conservation stories that lead to actual impact. And Path of the Panther was a co-production between Wild Path, Grizzly Creek, uh, and Apian Way. But I really got my start in this story. So I actually did my graduate work at University of Miami in the program Exploration Science, which was a program actually designed by National Geographic. And it focuses on expedition studies, but with a focus on how to communicate stories that you discover on these expeditions. Um, And so I really wanted to focus on how to communicate environmental issues that I cared about. Um, My undergraduate work was at Florida State University in environmental science, and I kind of reached a dead end with some of my scientific work because although that work is very important for conservation work, I felt like there was a need more for communicating that essential data and knowledge to the general public and to people who really care about these issues. So when I started my graduate work at University of Miami, um, I really focused on science communications. and one of my professors actually used a uh, camera trap work as an example for how to document really elusive animals. And he used one of Carlton Ward Jr.'s photographs of a panther in one of our class lectures. And as soon as I saw that image, I was kind of taken aback by how much exploration is involved in the process of camera trapping. And as an outdoor enthusiast, I was amazed that someone had turned that into a career. And so I asked my professor, I was like, do you think Carlton Ward would ever be up for having an assistant or an intern? And it turned out that they had previously worked on a project together and he connected me with Carlton. And from there on out, I spent nine months living in the swamp with Carlton in an Airstream trailer. And uh, for those nine months, Carlton taught me everything there was to know about camera trapping and the South Florida swamps. And after that, the rest is really history, because even though I signed on for a nine month internship with him, that led into three plus years of camera trapping there.
0: Awesome. A few things that I just want to highlight out of that one that shows if you're like an undergrad student right now or you're currently studying something that shows you the importance of being willing to say, hey what do you think about this idea and communicating that idea to your professor? Because that is how you create opportunities for yourself. It's how you get yourself placed into labs. It's how you really push yourself forward into being able to do what you want to do. So that is awesome. And it's always great to share a story where asking the question gets the result that you want. The other thing that I wanted to talk about really quick is can you define for me what camera trapping is and why it's so important in conserving, especially like cryptic wildlife?
2: Absolutely. So, Camera trapping is a method of setting up. You know that it can either be a, a simple trail cam that hunters use, or in my case, it was using really professional Nikon DSLR cameras and Sony video cameras in these waterproof boxes, and basically setting up a studio in the woods. And you're setting it all up uh, with you know the lights and the camera, but the critical piece is the infrared tripwire, essentially that the animal walks through and takes its own picture or records its own video. Um, and this is critical for getting footage of animals that we rarely get to see, who are either endangered or just very elusive. Uh, and the panther, for one, is a perfect example because there are less than two hundred of them in the wild right now, and People rarely ever get to see them. So setting up camera traps in the woods was our one way of kind of documenting them in a in the least impactful way because um, humans are not present there. So you really get to see their natural behavior, which is really cool.
0: And that's a really important point that just the presence of humans changes the behavior of the organism, right? And so camera trapping is a way to get information about the natural habits of an organism in a way that is literally impossible to do if you're sitting there taking the picture. It completely changes how they're acting, how they're traveling, how they're moving. Um, So being able to do that remotely and have the animal trigger it when you're nowhere nearby is a really critical aspect of that. And it's also gotta be a little terrifying to leave like thousands of dollars of of camera equipment just sitting in the woods and hoping that your O-rings are gonna hold and it's not gonna get wet and get destroyed, right?
2: Absolutely. And especially in Florida, in South no, Florida. Right,
0: where it's like humid city.
2: Right. And we have a wet and a dry season, but it's always humid in Florida and but in the rainy season in particular, it's definitely scary because some of uh, the water level could rise by feet within a weekend. So um Some of our cameras, we actually situated on tripods or on a tree limb above water. So we were just asking for trouble. Yeah. Um, But surprisingly enough, besides the water, um, one of our other challenges was preventing bears from destroying the cameras. So um, bears are really, really curious creatures. And when they find something new in their environment, they're going to test it out and play around with it. So one of my um, important activities in my job was going out there and fixing everything and picking things up after the bears had gotten to it.
1: That's a cool job. (laughs)
2: It's very cool. (laughs) Not complaining.
1: Yeah. So how far was that transit? So whenever y'all would go, I guess you said you were kind of living in the swamp. So Mm -hmm. like when you would have to go check on these locations, check on these cameras, what did that like transit look like? How did you get there? Mm
2: -hmm. So when I first started working with Carlton and we were we were actually based in an Airstream trailer in the Florida Panther National Wildlife Refuge. So our commute was basically just getting in a polaris ranger and driving out to the sites but um eventually my position led into being um the full-time field program manager and i was managing roughly two dozen camera trap systems across the greater everglades because um as our project evolved carlton was doing a lot more of the Legislative and lobbying and so it was my duty to make sure that all the camera traps were still running and we were still getting imagery so um, I eventually moved to Naples and was based there for a couple years and so my commute actually just involved driving to different locations some of them were corkscrew swamp sanctuary we still had a lot at the Panther refuge Um, but one interesting thing that I noticed on my commute that I'll mention is how rapid the development was that I was seeing and so it was I was actively seeing what I was trying to prevent while going to some of these field sites because there would be a new pine forest or a new swamp that had recently been um, taken down for a newer development so that was kind of hard when I was commuting to these sites but definitely kept me motivated to keep going.
0: And that's a great um, sort of segue into this next topic that I want to talk about, which is why the preservation of land is so critical to the preservation of the Florida panther, because they're not the kind of species that works well in fragmented habitat, right? Mm -hmm. They require a contiguous habitat that is huge because they're apex predators and they can't be predating on the same population over and over and over and over. So what kind of a home range do you Were you seeing in the panthers that you were you were camera trapping?
2: Yeah. So, an interesting fact about um, panther conservation is that not all of them are collared. Only some of them are collared. So, we don't really know where a lot of these panthers' home ranges, how far they go, where they're going. But um, a male panther can have a home range of miles and miles. And so, besides needing that contiguous habitat to prevent vehicle strikes, uh, male panthers will actually fight each other too for territory. Um, So that's another challenge that they have. But giving them the space that they need to survive is essential. And the Florida Wildlife Corridor um, is one solution to doing that because it's a patchwork of both private and public land that is connected and can allow these large mammals like panthers and also florida black bears to move as they should
0: because they change their habitats with prey availability right their annual travel patterns adjust to the dry season or the rainy season as their prey is moving around right so they really need not want they need a big space of land that is undeveloped that is not disturbed by people Mm because that's just for many reasons, not a great setup for people or Panthers. Um, so can you give me, I guess, a little bit of background into when the Florida Wildlife Corridors project started and where we are at now and kind of what the goal is with a Florida Wildlife Corridor?
2: Sure, that's a good question. So um, my colleague Carlton Ward Jr. started the Path of the Panther project as well as this mission. Man, say that
0: five times fast. Path of the Panther project.
2: Wow. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's a mouthful. But Yeah, the Path of the Panther Project, as well as this mission to protect the Florida Wildlife Corridor, started around 2004 with Carlton Ward Jr., along with other conservationists like Mallory Dimmitt and Joe Guthrie, who's a bear biologist. Um, And it actually started with a series of expeditions where they traveled and hiked and paddled throughout the length of the corridor to demonstrate how wildlife moved throughout it. Um, And... The Path of the Panther Project evolved into this mission to demonstrate how the panther is showing us how we need to protect the corridor. And in 2021, in the summer, we actually got the Florida Wildlife Corridor Act passed, which was our major goal because that solidified... Um, the funding needed to keep these lands intact. And the Florida Wildlife Corridor stretches across 18 million acres throughout the state. And 10 million of those are already protected. And 8 million of those have yet to have conservation status. So right now as it stands, that's what we're fighting for is to have those remaining acres protected. Um, And that can be through conservation easements. And like I said 33% of the Florida Wildlife Corridor is actually cattle ranches. Um, And so these working lands are vital when it comes to protecting this corridor.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So besides the impact with like lawmakers and kind of governmental issues, have y'all seen a significant impact with like the community? Like you said, there's a bunch of farms and cattle ranchers and everything. Have, Have they kind of seemed to come around to the idea of like, okay, this is important to have these panthers here mm-hmm. or were they, maybe they were always like that.
0: Because I would imagine that a cattle rancher would not want pumas crossing through their property with, right. with their history of, of predating on livestock.
2: Right. So that that is one challenge that some ranchers face is predation on their cattle from the panthers. But surprisingly enough, the majority of these landowners actually find common ground with the Panther because if their ranch is developed they no longer have their cultural heritage or their family's you know uh, business so um, a lot of these ranchers and one in particular Elton Linkford who is featured in the film he sees the panther as a partner in this mission and s- finds common ground with it because without protecting some of these areas his livelihood is gone too
1: yeah so you kind of already mentioned this, but I want to go back to it a little bit, is that some of the challenges that you had were obviously during the rainy season, and in the film, y'all go through a hurricane. So I am wondering how that impacted your gear. Was everything good or what did y'all pick it all up? What happened?
2: So during production, we heard about Hurricane Irma coming, and we had two options. We could either remove everything and... Not get any footage during that time, or we could risk it all and leave our cameras there, secure them the best we could, and maybe get some never before seen footage of these animals and how they survived during uh, these hurricane events. And that's ultimately what Carlton and I decided to Gotta do. Risk it. <laughs> exactly. So we we tied everything down best we could. We raised cameras to compensate for rising water levels. Um, And one part in the film you'll see is that there was a lot of destruction, but there was one image that we got of a panther jumping through the air with rain falling and trees behind it fallen, And it was a symbol of hope for us that these animals are still out there and they're still surviving through it all. I mean, besides development and vehicle strikes... um, they have to go through these massive climate events as well. Yeah.
0: That's that's so cool. Now, one of the huge downsides of running a podcast is that I can't flash these images if, for our our listeners as right. we're talking about them. If somebody wanted to kind of find imagery of the ca- type of camera trapping mm-hmm. that you guys have done, where could I send them to go look at some of these images?
2: So the best place to look at our camera trap images is Path of the Panther on Instagram and as well as Carlton Ward Jr.'s Instagram because uh, we post a ton of our camera trap images there and having this project been going for over six years now we have a ton of images (laughs) and that was a big part of my job too was going through all the data and sorting all the images and sorting through what is a lot of times just empty frames Mm -hmm. because with the camera traps if anything goes through that motion detector whether it's a lizard tail or grass that has grown too tall um it's a lot of empty frames but sometimes you'll get that magical moment on the camera too
1: yeah so that's something i wanted to ask Do you remember like the feeling or what it was like when after y'all had set everything up and you're waiting on these images? I'm sure it was really cool to see like everything else, the bears, like you said, they go through, but you're specifically looking for these panthers. Mm -hmm. So what was that feeling like when y'all finally got a shot of a panther?
2: It's a lot like opening presents on Christmas morning (laughs) because you really never know what you're going to get. And also camera trapping is such a, at least for me, a love-hate relationship because you go through so much trouble to set these things up and you so rarely get that magical shot, but when you open the camera and you're sorting through the images and you stumble upon something that just stops you and you kind of just lose your breath for a second because you're like, no one's ever seen this picture before. No one's ever seen this panther jumping over this log with water beneath it. and. Uh, For me, it's just really exciting because I now get to share that picture with so many people and show them something they've never seen before.
0: And that's really what it boils down to. I mean, we we touched on this earlier in the show that like your goal is to go create images that you can bring in front of people to make them care, right? right? That's the whole point is that when you see an image of a panther that is you know, surviving Hurricane Irma, which was- I mean, we lived through it, Sarah Catherine and Mm -hmm. I did. That was a terrible storm. That is just such a powerful image that somebody who can empathize with that is more likely to support legislation that protects the Florida Wildlife Corridor or to put their money or their time towards preserving Mm -hmm. these incredible animals and that I mean that's a little bit of what Sarah Catherine and I are doing with the show and with some of the other stuff with last chance endeavors is that we're just trying to get this in front of people so that they've got the opportunity to learn about it and if you learn about it you're gonna care about it and that is it's really fun to see somebody who has the science background but is using their knowledge of science and tying that directly to communication to get it in front of people and get them to care. And that's that's a really, really cool thing to see.
2: Exactly. You you summed it up perfectly because with Florida, I feel like Florida is a little misunderstood. A lot of people just think of Disney or Key West and the beaches and, you know, that's one side of Florida, but the wild side of Florida is hidden in plain sight. A lot of these places Sure, you have to go off the beaten path, but where I worked outside of Naples, it was a 20-minute drive to some of these wilderness areas, Um, but so many people don't take the time or think that it's out there. So using the camera traps um, and using photography and film to bring these visuals to people is a great way to just show them what is still out there and what still exists. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So what is next for you? Are you already working on a new project? Are you going to continue working specifically and focusing on Path of the Panther? Or are you kind of moving on and doing something else?
2: So right now I'm continuing to work uh, with the team on this film, but we have since transitioned more into the impact campaign, which now involves bringing the film to as many people as we can. So we are actually about to start a statewide theatrical tour in Florida. So the film's going to be screened in movie theaters across over 40 theaters across the state. So uh, right now, that's what I'm focusing on is uh, essentially showing the film to as many people as we can. We soon we'll be working on an educational curriculum and bringing this story and the science behind it to middle school classrooms but outside of that i have no specific plans but i have just recently actually moved to this area um not this specific area but to northern california um and i'm slowly starting to learn about the ecology and the environmental issues that northern california is facing so I would, in the future, love to maybe start camera trapping out here to kind of shed light on some of the wildlife here.
0: And that's really interesting because the, you know, the Florida panther is the same species as the, it's a subspecies, but mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's the same species as what we have out here on the West Coast, but it's a, you know, completely different ecology, completely different survival strategies. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would absolutely be very interested in seeing your take on the survival of the Western panther, as opposed to the Florida panther, which previously extended all throughout the Eastern United States, right? And it right. has has since been cut back to about 5% of its previous range. So uh, I, I think it would be very interesting for you to come out here and take a look at what's going on with the, uh, the Western species.
2: Yeah, there's a lot of overlap between the conservation issues in Florida and California. And California has been great um, with their conservation efforts specifically with wildlife corridors. I mean, the biggest wildlife overpass is being built right outside of LA. And that's going to be critical for those cougars there. Um, P-22 was the cougar that started it all in that area. So um, yeah, definitely there's a lot of overlap between the two places. And it's
0: also an interesting discussion because, I mean, this is true in Florida as well, but as we have just a massive increase in human population everywhere, but I mean, think about a place like Los Angeles. You know how many people live in that small area, right? So we're going to see this, this, this competition for space and this increase in interactions between mm-hmm. humans and other, you know, bears, panthers, etc. Right. Um, it's it's a very interesting sort of parallel conversation that happens on the east coast and on the west coast with the species.
2: Right.
1: So. Apart from maybe getting their master's in exploration, like you did, which I also
0: want to do. Speaking of, (laughs) yeah, yeah, we didn't get back to that, but that's super cool.
1: (laughs) We'll talk to you more about that after the show and maybe do a follow up show on the exploration program. Um, But apart from that, what could people do that kind of wanted to follow in your footsteps and do something similar to the work that you're doing?
2: I like to tell people to just figure out. What they love the most and try to protect that and start with your own backyard. Uh, for me, I grew up near the Indian River Lagoon on the east coast of Florida, and I grew up loving to kayak, surf, free dive, and having that initial love for the environment is what led me to want to study it. Um, and so, yeah, use your unique skill set to try to protect the things you love and for me going to I was fortunate enough to go to college and meet a lot of people doing great work and networking is essential I I mean that's how I got connected with this project essentially um so yeah finding the people that you look up to and asking them how how they did it who do they know what projects are they working on and just Get your feet wet. And for me, that was literal. <laughs> Get your feet yeah. wet in the Literally swamp. Literally go
0: live in a swamp for nine months. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wish we could go live in a swamp for nine months. I mean, I guess we I could. Mean, who
2: says we can't? That's fair.
0: That's fair. Um, a lot of mosquitoes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We, uh, we have been experienced- <laughs> We tried hiking the everglades at, at like a swampy chunk mm-hmm. with completely the wrong gear at completely the wrong time of year and it was one of those things where it was like i looked at sarah catherine's leg and it was just like every square inch there was a mosquito yeah and it was like we should go back to the car we're gonna abandon <laughs> we're gonna yeah. abandon this particular hike. i was
2: like i'm fine it's fine people always <laughs> ask me are, are you scared of the alligators and the snakes and i'm like no i'm just annoyed by the mosquitoes yeah <laughs> yep
1: yeah. when you're that annoyed by mosquitoes like everything else kind of leaves your mind and you're like yeah right.
0: Yeah, nothing else matters but getting away from, from being bitten at this moment. Yeah, I get it. Actually, <clears throat> now that you've brought up snakes, so I was fortunate enough to do at Sarah Catherine just rolled uh, I was fortunate enough to go to school at Davidson College, which uh, while I was there, had an awesome herpetology program and had uh, professors that were looking at the invasive pythons. One of the pieces of information that came out was that the invasive Burmese pythons had, like, completely crashed the number of small mammal species in Everglades National Park because that's their their bread and butter, the ambush predators. They sit there, they wait for a raccoon to walk by, and that raccoon's not getting away, right? I know that the Florida panther also relies a lot on mammals as their staple food source. Has there been any discussion in the literature that you're aware of of sort of the competition between panthers and invasive pythons for food sources or, or how that's changing the ecology of Florida panther predation?
2: So it's interesting because historically, the panther did go south into what is now Everglades National Park. But because of some of the... Recent developments and construction, including the Tamiami Trail, um, that, those areas are now flooded. And so the panther actually can no longer survive in these flooded areas. And typically, these pythons are being found south of Tamiami Trail. So the pythons are typically found south of where the panthers are. So right now, there's not a huge overlap, but they do uh, absolutely eat the same uh, animals. Food sources. Yeah. yeah.
0: Very interesting. It, it's... Florida is kind of the Wild West when it comes to invasive species because it's such a, you know, it's the most tropical environment we have in the United States. So there's a lot of species that can only survive in Southern Florida once they're introduced, um, which was, you know, both horrifying, but also fascinating as a herpetologist that was looking at these wild reptiles and amphibians that have been introduced through the pet trade or through, you know, just poor practices. Um, and and it's this this really interesting field laboratory for looking at how species interact in new situations
1: absolutely yeah well i cannot wait to see what you do next and i'm sure our paths will cross again but for now thank you so much for being on the show with us today it was really great to meet you
2: thank you for having me
0: thanks for listening to this episode of conservation connection
1: if you enjoyed our podcast go ahead and subscribe to make sure you catch every episode that
0: we post We'd love to hear from you. So if you want to reach out, go to our website, lastchanceendeavors.com backslash contact and shoot us an email.
1: We love questions from our listeners. So if you heard something you'd like to learn more about, be sure to let us know.
0: If you've got a minute to spare, leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts will help other conservation-minded people find the show. We'd really appreciate it.
1: A big thanks to the people working to protect our planet and a big thanks to you for listening. Don't forget to tune in next time.